0: all right can everybody hear me all right welcome to arise church we're thankful to see y'all today welcome and uh we're looking forward to just uh hearing hearing from the lord today that's what we all need right it doesn't doesn't do any of us any good if I sit around and talk, or somebody else sits around and talks. What we really need is to hear from God. Amen. So, what we're going to be talking about today is extreme love. Extreme love. So, what is love? If you had to like think about it and, and like put it in put it in some terms, what would, what would you what would you say love is? What do you think love is? You know, some people might say, "Oh, it's a it's a feeling." Okay. Some people might say, "No, no, no! It's an action." Some some people may say it's a feeling that causes an action. Okay. Other people might think it's a choice, right? So in so in the Bible, the word "love" is used 545 times. About half are in the Old Testament, half are in the New Testament, and it's interesting over 100 times just by the Apostle Paul, which is just just really interesting. And so with the, with the first chronological use of the word love, it's interesting. Jesus brings it out in the New Testament. The first time that, that, that love is, is, is mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus is, is when he's talking about love your enemies. Interesting, isn't it? The first time that's it's thrown on the table is love your enemies. Wow, that is extreme. That is really extreme. You know, 2,000 years ago, we, you and I, we grew up in a nation that's, we've heard that time and time and time again. But you know what? 2,000 years ago, nobody had heard that. Those words had never been spoken probably, love your enemies. And Jesus came and said and gave that as, as a command. Because it's contrary to human nature, it's contrary to logic, it's contrary to the instinct of self-preservation, right? But no wonder why Jesus' first words about love were to love our enemies, because that's why he was here. That's exactly what he was doing when he came here. So God loved his enemies so much that he sent Jesus to save them to save us so this message isn't just about love um, because we may not really understand what love is it may not be what culture tells us it is right this message is about extreme love which is the real stuff that comes from god right so you've got sports and sports are a lot of fun sports are cool but then you have extreme sports right that's like when you when, when you're on the edge of really cool awesomeness kind of things somebody said or I saw it on a, uh, on a poster once. If you have to sign a permission slip to do it, then it's probably worth doing. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So that's that's an extreme sport, but this is extreme love that we're going to be talking about. So point number one. and <clears throat> So point number one, extreme love chooses to act. And so in Romans 5, 8, it says, and if you have your Bible filled, I'll try to give you a, a little bit of time to get, to get to some of these. But Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us right and then it goes on to say that the reason why he did that was to reconcile us to himself right because we as all of mankind have been separated from god but god he just detests the separation right he could like live with it if he really wanted to if he he could just like write off everybody and say i don't care i'm going to isolate my own self and i'm going to be happy in and of myself and they could all go to the hot place he could say that, but you know what? He hates that separation so much that it caused him to act, right? God created us for love, to receive his love, to give his love back to him and to love others too. But because of sin enter, entering into you know mankind, um, we ended up being haters of God and herders of each other. Haters and herders. But God detested the separation so much and he detested that we had become haters and herders and so he stepped in to overcome. Why? Because extreme love chooses to act. It detests separation from others. When it knows there's a relationship that should be in place here, it says this separation is not good enough. I'm going to take the step and overcome this. So instead of being his enemies, God wanted to redeem us into his family. And so a question for you. When you're like you know disgusted with something like maybe the kitchen's dirty or the door's broken or 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 something like that we could either ignore it let it fester right we could do that or we could act and, and fix it right and i know there's so many other you know things going on all at the same time our time constraints and you know emotional state and all those and all those kind of things but wouldn't you rather to just go ahead and and fix the thing well so would god so he did So he acted on it. He didn't feel indifferent about it. He didn't feel bad about it. He, you know, sit up there in the clouds and feel bad, but he acted on it. Love motivated him into action for the good of his enemies. So it's fitting that Jesus' first statement of love was to love your enemies, right? Because that's exactly what he was doing by coming here. Extreme love chooses to act. Number two, extreme love changes us. So there's a lot of people out there in, in the world in general, I think, who look at Christians and they say, you know what? You're a good person, and so I understand why you go to church and stuff. But you know what? I'm a, I'm a mess, and there's no way God for, could forgive me, and so I'm not going to darken the door of a church because it would probably t- come tumbling down, right? We've, heard, we've all heard things like that. But, but, you know, that's just so completely false. Jesus didn't die for good people. There's this concept out there that Jesus died for the good people, right? He didn't. He didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. He died for prostitutes and adulterers. He died for thieves and drug pushers. He died for murderers. He died for liars. And even for people who cheat on their taxes. (laughs) Because Jesus couldn't die for good people. Because there's no such thing as a good person in and of themselves. That's so foreign to this world. A good person in and of themselves is like a rainbow-striped unicorn. There just aren't any. There, aren't, there are none. So Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, no, not one. And every person knows that they stand guilty before God as the just judge. That's why so many people just run away from him because they don't want to be accountable, right? That's why in our hearts, that's what we want to do when we're about to get in trouble for something. Nobody in and of themselves is a good person because you know what? We've all been infected by this malicious virus, spiritual virus called sin. And it's stained every human heart starting even at childhood. And it's been so interwoven into the human condition that to separate it from a person would be like trying to separate white from rice. You might actually remove some of the white, but you know what? There's always more underneath. There's always more underneath. You might actually over overcome a sin in this area or that, but you know what? There's more underneath. <clears throat> That's what religion tries to do. It tries to change the outward behavior, but it doesn't have the power to change the spiritual condition, right? The sin-stained heart. So there's no such thing as a good person or a nice person in and of themselves. Every one of us is a hater of God and a herder of others. Every one of us, is evil and stands with with the heart that's completely stained in sin, right? But there are bad people who have been changed for good by Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, you can't take the stain out of people's hearts, but you can take the stained heart out of the person. So Jesus is a spiritual surgeon. For anyone who's tired of their guilt, anyone who's tired of having a stained heart, anyone who wants to improve their spiritual condition, He knows that you and I can't do it on their own, on our own. He knows that. And for anybody who, but he so wants to help that he made the way, all we have to do is ask him to forgive us, and he will. Ask him to give us a new heart, and he will. He'll do that surgery. He'll take out the sin-stained heart right, right out of our chest. He'll give us a heart of flesh. That's called the new birth. That's being born again. And then all of a sudden, God is your father and God is your friend. That's called justification. He gets rid of the sin-stained heart and gives you a new heart. He forgives you everything that you've ever done. All that wrong, he just forgives it. And he cleanses your heart to remove the guilt and shame that was attached to all that wrongdoing. And it's all absolutely free. You know, this change can be so dramatic that it even changes the way a person looks. Isn't that amazing? There's a guy I know um, a friend from Virginia he's, he's doing a church plant in Boston and he went, so he was he was a drug dealer or a drug user anyway and um, down in Virginia and then he got caught and the judge said, look you can either go and work in this church for like seven years it was a long time you could either go to work for this church for five or seven years or you could go to jail and he said he was like you know 22 or something. And he, and he said, okay, I guess I'll work for the church. And so he goes and, and he gets saved and he gets changed. And he, he carries around his old license. I think he still does that. Um, he's like maybe 35 now. He carries around that old license just to show people what he used to look like because he looks so different. He's unrecognizable. Anger is turned to joy. Fear is turned to peace. Hatred is turned to Love. And God makes us a new creation. So God's love is so amazing that when we allow it into our lives, it just changes us completely. Not a little minor overhaul. Not like when you take your car into the shop and get an oil change. No, no, no. It's like you bring your car to the shop and they give you a new car when you leave the shop. That's what it's like. Second Corinthians five seventeen through 18 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so that word new, he is a new creation. That's not like new in sequence, like, oh, today's a new day. Yesterday was an old day. No, no, no. This is, this is new qualitatively. This is like um, better than the old. So this, this all happened because God loved his enemies. He loved you and me. Even though we were haters of God and herders of others, he loved us so much to die for us in our place. So we can be washed, clean, and forgiven, get a new heart, and become children in his kingdom. So that's that's number two. Extreme love changes us. Number three, extreme love keeps reaching out to others. And so in 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Extreme love keeps reaching out to others. So God's in the adoption business, right? He wants his family to just be full. He wants his kingdom to be full. He is not trying to keep people out of heaven. He is trying to get everybody into heaven as he possibly can. As many people as he possibly He's trying to fill the place, right? And the world is so full of people who need Jesus. There's haters and herders all around us um, who've been hated themselves and who've been hurt themselves. Everybody. Because why? Hurt people, hurt people. And so everybody needs Jesus in order to be welcomed into heaven. And God doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance, right? Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, this world has an expiration date. I mean things things do degenerate and get and, and get older. This world does have an expiration. Date. It, it will expire, and you know what? Our lives will too. Every single one of us Our lives will expire. Time is short. It might be shorter than we even know. We just don't know. So how is God going to reach all those people out there that he wants in his family? How is he going to do that, right? There's so many people that need God's love. How is he going to reach those people? So the answer is this, and I'm going to take John 3.16 and shift it a little bit. God so loves the people in this city that he sent you and me. You see, you, you or I, we may not look like Navy SEALs on a rescue mission, you know, painted with black, black and camouflage and stuff like that, but in the spiritual realm, that's exactly what we are. There is nobody who's more highly skilled or more highly trained or better equipped to reach out and rescue the people of this city from eternal spiritual death than you are, and me too. So what skills and equipment do we have? You're probably thinking, you're probably thinking, I don't, I don't know how I'm equipped. I don't know what skills I've got. <clears throat> In Revelation, it says, they overcame the evil one by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by not loving their lives unto the death. And so the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus. And so this is the blood that Jesus shed at the hill of Calvary as he bled and died for you and me, right? And it is sufficient to cleanse the worst offender. There's nothing that you can do or there's nothing that you've ever done that Jesus can't fix. It doesn't mean it will come out how you want it, but it means he can take it and turn it into something beautiful and turn you into somebody beautiful on the outcome. right? There's nothing beyond his ability to repair. No matter how hurt or hurting or hurtful you've been, Jesus can fix your life. He did everything he could to do for you and for me, but he refuses to trample on our free will. It's one thing we, it takes from us is just to come to him. That's what it takes. And so what skills and equipment do we have? The blood of Jesus. Number two, we also have our testimony of Jesus' righteousness. And so I used to be a jerk. I was proud. I was angry. I was a herder, right? Just like all of us were, right? And after I'd say something that would just downgrade or demean somebody, I'd feel so guilty. I just wanted to be able to do what's right. I wanted to be able to say things that didn't hurt people but to help people and I and, and I just didn't want to hurt people, right? Because I hated the guilt. And so Jesus reached out and he's and he taught me how to change. And he changed. So so the testimony is this: I used to be like this, and he changed me. And he can do the same for you. That's what the testimony is. <clears throat> so you may be a, you may be a Christian and have not been able to break free from being a herder. That's possible. Years ago, I knew this pastor. So um, he had six kids. I'm not sure how many he had at the time, but um, just a really funny guy from another country. And he was a missionary to Russia and um, then came back and planted a church in Tennessee or something, and it grew to several hundred. And they, you know, seemed to be really thriving. And then God started talking to him about his anger problem. He had a problem with anger. He'd spank his kids in anger at the, at the slightest thing that they did, spilled milk, that kind of thing, right? So his family was constantly on edge. Then God started showing him, you know, there's a better way. God showed him that he needed to change, and that love could change him. So he started to let God help him. How? How's that? How? How, how did? What did that look like? Right? Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you. He, st- <clears throat> when he started to get angry, he'd like recognize it and he'd, and he'd go to the bedroom. He'd say, "Honey, I can't handle this right now. I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the bedroom. I'm going to calm down." So he'd go to the bedroom. He'd kneel and he'd pray until he calmed down. And then when he was nice and calm, then he'd come back and interact with the family again. After practicing that for like several instances, his eight-year-old Anna spilled food at the table, spilled food and milk or something like that, something that normally would have set, set off you know, the, the, the pastor debt. And so he quietly excused himself, and Anna said, I'm sorry, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he said, probably for the first time, he said, that's okay, honey. And then he went to his room so he could pray. And then all of a sudden, his eight-year-old started crying and bawling he couldn't figure out what was going on and his wife said Anna what's what's the matter and Anna said mommy I think God is saving daddy wow I think God is saving daddy when I met him was a couple years later and he was a loving father at that point he had learned how to overcome that, and he was just so kind and jovial. His kids could crawl all over him, and it never angered him, right? And it was that testimony that helped me to see how I could change when I was a herder, right? Testimonies are so powerful. They say, God changed me, and he can change you too. So, and so, so why do I add that little qualifier, the, our testimony is of Jesus' righteousness? Why, why, did I, why did I say that? Because, you know, it's only his righteousness that changes us. Right? The change that happened in that pastor's life was not self-help. It wasn't that he figured it out. It wasn't that he you know, strong-armed his anger problem. It was Jesus' righteousness working in him and through him. It was him learning how to let Jesus live through him, which can take time. It was Galatians 2.20 which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. It would be great if it was just a flip of a switch, but it's not always like the flip of a switch. And if we don't tell others our testimony, how rotten we were, then how are those people gonna think anything other than, oh, you're 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 a good person? That's just what they'll think. If 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 we don't share our testimony that God I was like this and God changed me to be like this, then everybody around us just says, Oh, you're a good person. And they don't know what they need to know, which is God changed me, and He can change you too. That's what they need to know. So our testimony is of His righteousness living through us. And then number three, prayer. God listens to the prayer of His people. That's another another weapon, another tool that we have. And so <clears throat> I was I was out at sea, and I had a um, I, I was so I on merchant ships. I had a chief engineer and a captain that really just didn't like me because I, I was a Christian, and I would you know on breaks I would go. Prayer time, or read my Bible and stuff like that. They they just thought I was weird, and they didn't like me. Then and then one of the, one of the people on board, the chief steward, got sick, and like deathly sick. He didn't he he couldn't keep his heart medication down, and um, he was he ended up vomiting all over, and he was falling on the floor. The ship was in touch with the shoreside personnel, you know, EMT shoreside, doctor shoreside, to try to give the ship instructions because we were like three days away from anywhere, and it looked like he was going to die any minute. And the people ashore agreed, and so, for, and so for this for this gentleman, I asked if I could pray for him, and he, and he and you know he he really couldn't speak, but he gave me a nod or something. So I prayed for him, and I I just you know prayed with passion, right? I just prayed what was on my heart that God would heal this man, that God would raise him up and strong, and he would be okay. And so the people who were there, they saw me pour my heart out, and you know I wasn't even praying for those people. I was praying for the man on, you know, in the gurney thing. But God used that to change those people's lives too. And so then this was in early December. We ended up, anyway, he got airlifted off the ship and ended up being just fine, just, just, just like just like God answered my prayer. And then a couple of weeks later was Christmas. And you know who showed up to the little Christmas Eve service that I held? Because I did a Christmas Eve service. There was a Catholic guy on board. So he did a, a Christmas extravaganza where it was just basically us reading scriptures and then we listened to a... Uh, You know, like a Christian CD in between the scriptures, right, about Christmas. You know who showed up to the Christmas uh, extravaganza? The captain and the chief engineer. Prayer is powerful. I wasn't even praying for them, but it affected them. Extreme love, and then, and, and moving on to the next point. So extreme love, love's first, and it never, extreme love, I'm sorry, the last one, extreme love, keeps reaching out to others. And then number four, extreme love loves first and it never gives up. And so the scripture that Marilyn read earlier in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which is bringing others from hatred to friendship with God. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing righteous or not imputing their trespasses to them, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Please say, "I am an ambassador for Christ." That is really cool. You know, none of us would ever probably be given the privilege of being an ambassador for the United States or the Bahamas or wherever, but you know what? You you are an ambassador for Christ already right now god is so proud of you that you is are the one that he's sending to be an ambassador for him as though god were pleading through us we implore you on christ's behalf be reconciled to god so you know ambassadors don't only get visited to nice places sometimes they have to go to hostile territory right and enemies are inevitable you have no choice on whether you're going to have enemies but we do have a choice on what we're going to do with them how we act towards them is our choice. So if God wants to reach people through you, so God wants to reach people through you, and I'm going to restate that. God wants to reach those who hate you through you. And God wants to reach those who you hate through you. So he's trained and equipped you and me to reach people with his love. He's changed you, trained you, and equipped you to reach those people with his love. You are... and. So this is just a neat little talk. You are never more like God than when you are reaching out in love to do something that benefits your enemy. You're never more like God than when you're doing that. And when you're doing that, you are so like God. It is amazing. Because you can't even do that unless he's working through you. And then extreme love says, it owes everybody. It says, you know, I've been loved so much, I've been forgiven so much that I literally owe it to you to show that same love to you also. This is Romans 13, 8-10. Owe no one anything except to love one another. So we owe each other to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so, and so extreme love isn't a once-and-done thing. It's not a three strikes and you're out. You know, I was nice to you three times and you weren't nice to me back, so I'm writing you off. No, 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 no. It loves first. It loves second. It loves third. It loves, and it keeps on 777 times a day. It doesn't quit. It never throws in the towel. It never writes off somebody. And it never gives up. That takes commitment and it takes sacrifice. And then number five, Extreme love builds up. So this is 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as yet he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. So knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. They both do something, Right. Knowledge positions itself above others, but love pushes others above self. So I have a tale of two seminary professors from two different schools, and so and I learned something from this comparison, right? So at school A, there was a Ph.D. professor, and he, I, you know, I went to have a meeting with him, because he he said, oh, I'd like to get to know students, and he was like adamantly insistent that we, that he be called Doctor So and So, Doctor So and So. Big ministry, you know, successful successful uh, preacher, right, all that. At school B, a different professor, um, also a PhD, he insisted that I call him Eric. I tried to call him Dr. Newberg, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't let me call him Dr. Newberg. He said, just call me Eric, would you please? Please just call me Eric. Both had PhDs, both had successful ministries, but one positioned himself to be above me while the other one came down to my level. One was a great encouragement to me in preaching class, and, and and he even friended me on social media, right? And he had some really encouraging words for me. And the other one didn't help me at all. Which one loved me? Which one do I remember as being kind? So Philippians 2, 5-8. through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Knowledge puffs up but love pushes up. Or Or to put it put it another way knowledge positions itself above others but love pushes others above self so then then I'm going to mention this too in Ephesians 4 1 through 3 I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called with all lowliness and gentleness everybody please say lowliness and gentleness that's our calling with long suffering bearing with one another in love what that means is other Christians aren't going to be perfect. You're going to have to bear with them in love. It means that they're going to do wrong sometimes. And so we need to expect it and be ready to forgive them and move on when it, when it happens, right? So, and by the way, this isn't talking about an abusive relationship. In those types of situations, there's probably counseling that needs to happen to make sure that people are protected and the best decision for everybody is, is you know, is, is, is made, Um we're, we're, I'm not advocating to to stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm saying just in regular, standard, day-to-day relationships with people who are who actually you know who who, who love each other, there will be times when people slip up, and um, when that happens, that we should be ready to forgive. So what is extreme love? So out of that question at the beginning, it's a choice that causes sacrificial action and results in a feeling. And so that's and so that's that's when you put together the biblical parts of it. So it's a choice which is the agapao. It's a choice that causes sacrificial action. That's all agapao. That results in a feeling, phileo, a feeling of 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 befriending or feeling of closeness to somebody. Right when 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 you walk alights alongside somebody. Uh, you're choosing to walk al- alongside them but it may take a little while down the road to where you actually you know build a phileo kind of friendship with the person and so it's a choice that causes sacrificial action and results in a feeling so extreme love number 1 it chooses to act number 2 it changes us number 3 it keeps reaching out to others number 4 it loves first and it never gives up and number 5 it builds up and then i'm just going to i'm just going to read um, the first Corinthians portion of love because it it you know all these things are, are just built into it. The first Corinthians 13 1 through8 though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal which and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up or arrogant. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Keeps no accounts of evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. <clears throat> and then, so we're going to watch a video here in just a second. And, um, but first I'm going to, I'm just going to mention, so in terms of church planning, I just wanted to mention this, it'll it'll be real quick. In terms of church planning, um, there's just a, a, a neat thing in Mark 2, 1 through 5, just about how... Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read it, and then I'll just skip along and give you the little you know, tidbits. And again, this is Jesus. He entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who is carried by four men. And so there were four men who, who carried a paralytic, somebody who couldn't walk on their own, who carried a paralytic to Jesus. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, so they took the roof apart. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying, so they let him down through the hole in the roof that they just made. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And so, just a couple, just a couple thoughts about that teamwork. Like in terms of church planning, teamwork. Sometimes you just can't do it alone, but it, you know, a team of us can do it together, right? No, no one of us can reach Albany on our own, but a team of us can 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 reach Albany, right? So teamwork is one. Number two, they brought the sick man to Jesus. They knew Jesus was the only hope for the sick man, and Jesus is the only hope for hurt and broken people here. Number three, they didn't give up when it looked like there was no way. They kept going. You know, they the going got tough. They didn't quit. They persisted through every obstacle. The man's inability to walk the distance to bring the man to Jesus, the crowd that inhibited their access, the roof they had to had to disassemble and letting him down into into the uh, you know house safely. They went to extremes to get the man to Jesus. And the man sick with the palsy, he was forgiven and healed. How could he be forgiven and healed? He wasn't. That, he didn't exercise faith, but the four who carried him did. And so, and and they did so sort to of benefit the man of the Paul. So carrying the man is symbolic of lifting someone up in prayer to God. And so in James five fifteen, it, it explains what happened here. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And he, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It's praying for other people really can uh, have an effect in their life. It can it can bring forgiveness to them. It can bring them to Jesus. So anyway. So in in the application of that, you really can help people, right? You can carry people to Jesus in prayer. So we're going to watch a video now, though, about love whenever that's ready.
1: Love. love, in this world, is pretty messed up.
2: It asks for a lot I... and it never returns the favor. Love, in my world, well it brings more trouble than it's worth.
1: In my world, love has felt like... Sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at it the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like, I love you. No matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves.
2: And when it leaves, there's only disaster left.
1: Love no promises a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts.
2: I've picked
0: up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times.
1: So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears, the pain, the loneliness. The surrender, it's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? can't help me. I love it all. Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love perfect love that can end the disaster a perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted
0: there is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world god
1: tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep
2: it's a love that takes its time it's profound
1: it doesn't brag or bad mouth god's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us
2: that you can trust hoping And you never, ever exhaust it.
1: That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us.
2: How can I love like that? How can I love like that?
1: How can I love like that?
2: Because I am loved like that.
1: I can love well, not because of me. But
2: because
1: he first loved me.
0: You are loved with an extreme love from God. Will you choose extreme love this week? Will you choose to love others with that same extreme love? Will you?
2: Ooh. Mm-hmm.
1: You loved us so much that You gave Your Son for us. You loved us so much that You were willing to come, Jesus, that while we were yet dying in our sins, You chose to come and die for us so that we could have eternal life. And all can we say is thank You. There's nothing we can do to repay You. Thank You, Lord. Lord, I pray that You'd be with us as we leave here today. Lord, I pray that throughout this week that you would help us be a witness and testimony to the world. Lord, even the rest of today, as we pack up equipment and we're moving in amongst the first, second, and third floors of this building, Lord, that we would come in contact with people and that by the way we treat them, by our respect, by our love for them, that they would see something different and that maybe we can even open up a conversation as to what we're doing here with all this music equipment and stuff, Lord. Lord, we just want our ears and our hearts to be open, to be used by you today and throughout this week and throughout the rest of our lives, Lord. We want to be a witness and testimony of the great things that you have done for us. Lead us, guide us, and direct us, Lord, bless each one. Bless them physically, bless them spiritually. As we leave here, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless.